This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This is a Rogue Media Network podcast. This is 365 Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. Zach Barnett, football scoop. We've had Zach on many times about many things college football. Zach wrote a story yesterday evening after seeing the quotes with Craig and also the story, the interview with Baylor's uh, director of athletics in Mac Rhodes. Mac, I mean, Zach, thanks for your time. When you saw the quotes, what was your first reaction? Um, that's, I, I guess I had a lot of reactions. I, I, I think I applaud uh, Mac Rhodes, obviously. If you're an AD, it's kind of – I think it can be kind of tough to, to be, you know, the, the quote-unquote general manager or owner, the guy who stays above the fray, and the guy who rolls his sleeves up and tries to – get get involved and figure out what's wrong and I think Mac uh did a good job of, of playing both of those roles in the interview on yesterday. Zach from the outside though, when you look at what's going on with Baylor and Dave Aranda over the last year, what's the path forward for them? I think you know in, in what I've seen of Baylor, uh and I admittedly I have not watched every game, but I, I've seen enough to know that I just don't see a whole lot of, of players that scare you. Like I, I, I think my, my impression from Mac was that, as I wrote in the article, is that it seems like he's, and this is just my intuition, it seems like he's frustrated in the disconnect between how the offensive coaches draw up, how the offense is supposed to work on a chalkboard in ideal conditions versus how they've adapted to the team they have to coach at this, at this given moment. And I'm sure there's a lot of that, but at the same time, I just don't see a lot of personnel, especially offensively, that's going to strike fear in the hearts of opposing defense coordinators. Zach, do you think that it's, especially for schools like Baylor, a a more vulnerable time than maybe it would be otherwise because of all the changes that you almost have to be aware of, of not only just the the regular situation, but the long-term ramifications, you know, like... A Baylor being well positioned for this new Big Twelve, but as this is starting to turn the corner, they are not very well positioned. All of a sudden, is there even more of an awareness of of the present and where you are and where this is all going? You think than maybe in years past? 
do you mean just in, in regards to the changes within the Big 12 or NIL and the transfer portal? Like, I think help all, me out. Yeah, I think all of that. Is there more of a pressure now that you can't afford to have a couple of years go by where you're just middle of the road or, or falling flatter because of, yes, NIL and all these various things that they kind of have to be at their best and they can't afford a couple of years of, of you know not making bowl games, for example? Um, I, I mean, I, I think from what I've seen in the Baylor football within the last 10 years, is just incredible resiliency. Uh, I mean, the program has, I guess it's the, the program has fallen apart and then risen back up three different times in, in that time. And so the, the, they've, they've done an incredibly good job of choosing the right people and then those people choosing the right players and the right assistant coaches. I mean, that, that happened from Bryles to Rule and then from, from Rule to Aranda. And so I think... I, I don't think Baylor's in a bad spot moving forward. I think there's a general sense within the donor class of every institution that, oh, my gosh, what we're doing now is, is, is not sustainable. So I think the fear that Baylor has is kind of a universal fear. But I think Baylor's it, – it's brand, it's um, you know the DNA with the program, it's location. I, I don't think Baylor is in any sort of existential – crisis right now. Uh, Zach Barnett, footballscoop.com with us. With uh, with the way that the conference is about to be, obviously with Texas and Oklahoma moving on, do you see any evidence this year on who might be the alpha that steps up based on results so far halfway through the season? Um, I, I think right now the, the, the alpha I see in this conference is either Utah or Colorado. Um, Utah obviously has a, a, a Hall of Fame coach and Kyle Whittingham. Uh, they have a, an incredibly successful formula of what they've done, having won the last two Pac-12 titles. And then Colorado has the ultimate X factor in its head coach right now and, and its ability to attract talent that no other Big 12 school has. Um, obviously, Deion Sanders is probably not going to be at Colorado forever, and so that could change. But those are my two answers as of right now. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of wondering how the Big 12 weathers that storm in the short term of, you know, when it comes to who's going to get the five stars, it's going to be him over most everyone else. Oh, yeah. He's, he's going to be able to recruit from a different pool than I think a, a lot of uh, – than the rank and file of the Big 12. And that's, I think, in the long running – I think Dion's presence has, has been an incredibly good thing for college football. It's been a good thing for the Pac-12. And I think it'll be a good team, a good thing for the Big 12 for as long as it lasts, even if uh, he might inflict some, some losses on, on the Baylors and the TCUs and the Texas Techs. Do you think this uh, current Big 12 landscape, the way it's gone so far this season, is the worst-case scenario for the Big 12? Are they squeezing the most juice out of Oklahoma and Texas while they can? Kind of how do you see how this, you know, all the, the blustering and all the talk of the offseason and they're leaving and all this and – Man, Zach, Oklahoma and Texas pretty clearly seem to be the two best teams, and everybody else is just kind of jumbled in the in the middle or lower. Yeah, it's funny because obviously we're in now the third season of waiting for Texas and Oklahoma to leave. And the first, I mean, 2021 could not have gone any better with Texas collapsing, you know, Oklahoma uh, missing the Big 12 championship for the first time in a long time, and then losing Lincoln Riley. And then you had that incredible game between Baylor and Oklahoma State. Last year was incredible with TCU. 
uh, and, and Kansas State playing a, a classic game, and TCU obviously make it to the title game. And then it seems like all all that momentum, all all the the, the run of of uh, hitting on eighteen and getting blackjack, or uh, even though that, that's a bad reference, but you get what I'm saying. Seems like their luck has run out a little bit. And um, and watching that Kansas State game, you know the the, the quote unquote challenger to those two, they they sure looked awful at losing at Oklahoma State. So yeah, it certainly seems like everyone is kind of. Uh, hitting reset at the same time. Obviously, TCU struggling a lot uh, as, as the quote-unquote defending champion, even though they were the best team last year, even though they didn't win the conference. So, yeah, it, it's kind of a bad time for everyone to uh, be in transition mode as, as those two cycle upward and then out. With West Virginia winning so far with Neil Brown, who was on not just the hot seat, is he had coals uh, in his pants. Now that he has at least had this start, who would you say is next man up who might be on the hot seat within the Big 12? You know, I was actually just writing about this uh, as you call it for a piece that's going to go out tomorrow. It's, it's, a, it's an interesting – it's a big two weeks for Dana Holgerson. I think he was close to being let go um, last season, and he spent a, a lot of this season kind of sounding the alarm that, hey, guys, we're not ready to compete as an institution in the Big 12. And then now here you have West Virginia coming to town – Tomorrow night, as, as his old team is, has not suffered his loss, as they are right now in the in the hunt to, to play for the Big Twelve championship. While West Virginia, excuse me, while Houston's zero two in the conference, and then next week you get Texas in town, and um, that that's going to be a sold out game, national TV, and it looks like Houston's going to be a, a three touchdown underdog. So uh, obviously, if you win that game, then uh, all is forgiven at least for six days. But if you go out there and get blown out, which they certainly could, then that's, it's going to be a, a painful uh, eight-day stretch possibly, or I guess 10-day stretch possibly for, for old Holgo. Yeah, you know, um, of, of things that ADs have told us, and the part of this was kind of in jest, we had Chris Pesman on, this is about a month ago now, right, guys? Yep, yep. And he even said, like, there might be a day where Dana gets tired of NIL and the transfer portal and retires. Like, that... that came out of Chris Pesman's mouth and he was joking but I do think that Dana falls in that category Zach of the you know Mike Gundy Dabo Sweeney you know people who are like you know I like coaching ball but like all this other stuff that goes with it, it's not for me anymore yeah Mike Gundy is another interesting guy to, to bring up given that he's such a made man and has, made, has more money than God up there in Stillwater but he seems like the type of person that, that's only happy when he's unhappy in the regards that <laughs> the, kind of the, the worst Oklahoma State plays, the more excited he is to show up to work at 6 a.m., roll his sleeves up, and, and figure out why. Would you throw Lincoln Riley into that group that Paul just mentioned of, of guys that possibly just see grass greener on the other side of college sports the way that it currently is? Oh, yeah. I mean, he, he uh, just gave it a, an interview to the L.A. Times in a really well-written piece that, that they put out there just kind of Lincoln contemplating about life and the, and the meaning of coaching and all that stuff. It's a, it's a really good article that I think everybody should read. And he certainly did not seem like a guy that, that was long for college football. Um, and uh, whether he tries his hand at the NFL or takes his money and runs, you know, who's to say? But uh, he, he did not seem like a guy that's, that's going to stick around just because this is what he is and, and, and who he is. He, he does not view himself as a 
a, a guy that's going to coach until the wheels fall off. Zach, uh, back to what I asked you for the beginning, the article you wrote based on our interview with Mac Rhodes last night or yesterday afternoon. How often have you seen ADs make comments like he said uh, or what he did last night? Yeah, it, you. as I said earlier, obviously ADs, when you start at two and four or worse, I mean, ADs are asked to comment all the time. And so the fact that he's commenting is not news in and of itself. But I thought the way, you know, he was willing to address that we need to get better offensively. That he, he mentioned the red zone, um, Baylor's lack of success stopping the run, you know, all the stuff that fans see and acknowledge and post about on message boards, the fact that he was willing to go there, I think, I think spoke well of him. And I think it, it, it showed his commitment to Dave Randa to get things done. And I mean, I, it, if I'm a Baylor offensive coach and, you know, I, I know some of those guys, because they're some of those guys' friends, um, I would not have slept well uh, last night having heard that. And of course, Baylor's offensive struggles are not news to those guys, but it seemed he seemed to go drill down a little bit deeper into Baylor's issues. To whereas um, most ADs, you know, are professional type guys who can kind of feel themselves getting you know quoted and aggregated as they're speaking. He didn't seem to be speaking with that sort of fear. With the results we've seen on the field right now. Who do you feel like are the four best teams? And there's a lot of games to be played, and they play each other. If you, though, had to pick pick four right now that would be in the college football playoff, who would they be? Uh, I'd certainly go Washington. Uh, I've been very close to, to ranking them as my number one overall team and might do that uh, depending on Saturday's results. Uh, I'd have to go Georgia. Uh, I was very close to dropping them, but they, they finally looked like the Georgia we expected on Saturday night. Um, I mean, Michigan looks really good. I, I, I'm frustrated because they play eight straight patsies, but you, you got to give them their due. And then after that, I have to go Oklahoma. I mean, they were, they've been one or two or three in a lot of different computer polls throughout the season after that they blew out Arkansas State. And they validated all that and then some on Saturday. So you, you got to give them their due. Yeah, they, they really, they validated what I think they thought they were, but it was hard to still kind of, wait a minute, we need him to do that against somebody else. Yeah, I don't think Texas took too much of a step back despite the loss, but Oklahoma, to me, said, hey, we're not going anywhere in fa- if you thought maybe we were. Yeah, I, I think they were pleasantly surprised with how they held up on both lines of scrimmage, and I think they were thrilled to death uh, to see Dylan Gabriel go out and perform the way he did. Because, uh, I mean, that was a question mark. He, he, he could certainly... Uh, pummel you if you're uh, a Tulsa or an Arkansas State, but he, he frankly never played on a stage like the Cotton Bowl stage, and then he went out there and he was the best player on the field, and so if, if now that you know he's got that ability, then you certainly are going to drink big if you're the Sooners. Zach, thank you very much. Appreciate your time from footballscoop.com. Zach Barnett with us on 365 Sports. This has been a Rogue Media Network production.